Welcome to this episode of our new AWS podcast series, Innovation Ambassadors. I'm Sarah Armstrong, and as Senior Manager for Worldwide Prototyping at AWS, I'll act as your ambassador to some of the most interesting engagements with our AWS prototyping teams. On this episode of Innovation Ambassadors, we're showcasing the journey of Tyson Foods, the world's second largest processor of chicken, beef, and pork as they explore the use of emerging technologies to increase transparency and accuracy in their processes so they can deliver high quality and service to their end customers and to reduce or even eliminate waste for a more sustainable future. We'll take a behind-the-scenes look at their work with our America's prototyping team to bring the power of computer vision to their inventory tracking systems and to learn the lessons of going from prototype to pilot to scaled production. I'd like to welcome Barrett Miller, Senior Manager, Emerging Technologies at Tyson Food. Thanks for being with us here, Barrett. Yeah, thank you for having me, Sarah. Happy to be on to tell a little bit of our story and what we've learned since we started. Yeah, and also from Tyson Foods, we have Jeremy Gerard, Lead Developer for Emerging Technologies. Thanks for joining us, Jeremy. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Great to be here. And from AWS, we have Tanner McRae, Senior Solutions Architect with our America's Prototyping Team. Always great to catch up with you, Tanner. Yeah, Sarah, nice to catch up with you as well, and also really great to hear about Barrett and Jeremy's journey post-engagement. Yeah, absolutely. So Barrett, most people in the U.S. anyway will have heard of Tyson Foods from that association with chicken, right? Tell us a little bit about Tyson Foods and what you're doing in the emerging technology space. Yeah, so Tyson Foods is the second largest producer of beef, chicken, and pork in the world and first in the United States. And a lot of people may not realize that we uh, actually have four business segments, so three primary in addition to poultry. Uh, which we're, we're most well-known for with our, our Tyson brand. So we have beef, we have pork, we have prepared foods in addition to poultry. So prepared foods can be any of the proteins, just our further processed product. So yeah, uh, we actually beef is even a little bit bigger than poultry in terms of sales, at least fiscal 2020 numbers wise. And so you're with the Emerging Technology Division there at Tyson Foods. Tell us a little bit about your vision. What are you trying to achieve in Emerging Technologies? We really sit on the explore side of the explore exploit dilemma for our organization. And so our charter is really to evaluate new technology, new emerging knowledge or processes, even in terms of technical value, capability, maturity, and then fit for our business as well. And what were you looking to achieve here with computer vision? So you have these huge facilities, right? You're processing all these different types of products. What were you wanting to do? We have 200 facilities across the, or 200 plus across the United States. And we had a particular problem in our tray pack poultry facilities that was brought to our team's attention that we were challenged with. And, you know, managing the inventory rooms at those facilities. Um, so that's where we produce the trays of chicken that you see at the supermarket. And so we produce a lot of product and we put it in an inventory room. And then when we get customer orders, we pull inventory from that room to, to ship out to different customers. And so our SVP of poultry at the time said that that was actually a black hole of information in terms of knowing exactly what product was in there 
and how long it had been there and exactly where it was in the room because it's a 22,000 square foot inventory buffer room basically with seven, eight foot racks of product that are being pulled. So that was kind of the business opportunity side. And just about that same time, this is second half of 2018, Tyson Foods had started its cloud migration. And so we were partnering with AWS already to do our cloud migration, move out of our data centers, re-architect some various applications. The leader of the emerging technology team at the time, Chad Walquist, had taken a trip out to Amazon HQ. And while he was there, he got to visit the Go store. And so that was an inspiration for, hey, maybe computer vision can solve this problem if it's possible to do what they're doing on the Go store we could use the same type of technology. And so that was really the genesis of this particular project that we worked on. So Jeremy, take us from there. We've got sort of an inspiration from Amazon Go and this probably many years of processes and operational standard processes that were being conducted in the terms of the inventory management. How did you marry those up? What was your approach? When you think about these fresh trade pack plants, you're producing these products on many different lines simultaneously. They're getting put onto, like Barrett mentioned, seven, eight foot tall racks, and they get wheeled into cold storage where they're maintained for inventory. Uh, right before that happens, there's an operator who sits at a terminal on the other side of a window looking up for hand signals from the plant workers to know what products skew to enter into the inventory. So we started with, let's at least give this person, the operator who's responsible for tracking inventory, we'll give them a, a live video feed from an overhead camera so that they can see the products directly themselves. We decided that's the perfect place to start because it's helping them and we can leverage that into starting to collect images and hopefully train a machine learning model to start automating this process. So uh, Barrett, how'd you come to work with Tanner and his team? It was pretty clear to us the idea of the possibility of what we wanted to do. You know, and I think we'd even played around with, hey, could we train an image classification model to be able to identify the, the product? Uh, so if we, we break this problem down into identifying product accurately using computer vision, then another problem would be tracking and locating the product. So we felt pretty confident that we could get the first one solved, even some early prototyping that we did internally. We, we thought we could continue to make progress on that. But there were two things we lacked is we had no real great ideas on how to solve tracking. We found some computer vision solution using Aruco tags that would require us to print out or fabricate some tags we could put on top of the racks and use some open source software to track that. But our early attempts at that didn't really scale well, weren't stable. We really didn't know much what we, we were doing at the time. And then the object detection, we really didn't have any, I think it was a lot newer at the time. We didn't really have a, a great idea about how to get started with that. And certainly the scale factors and how to use, leverage the AWS services effectively. So we, through the early partnership we had with AWS, our account manager at the time, Ryan Hoyam, connected us with the prototyping team. Uh, and we immediately just fell in love with that team on you know their products, the process, their enthusiasm, and you know just the, the ideas they had. So uh, we knew it was going to be a good good partnership. That's great to hear. So Tanner, we're often confronted in prototyping, right, with areas of uncertainty and where we don't know how to proceed necessarily. Take us from there. What was your approach? So my team went out and actually visited one of the Tyson facilities and uh, kind of got a feel for fun. I know, yeah. um, kind of got. A it kind of got a feel for the problem that we were trying to solve, what their actual facility looked like, 
kind of what the environment that we needed to mimic looked like. And then the first step was just recreating that in our own lab because, I mean, we can't spend six to eight weeks as much as I'm sure they probably would have let us. I don't think, I think we would have gotten in the way uh, if we were there for six to eight weeks. So I, I had to mimic that. The good folks at Tyson actually shipped us out some empty chicken containers with different types of, of skews and then also these like seven to eight foot racks that you actually have the chicken on. So they saran wrapped them, sent them through the mail and they showed up a couple weeks later, which we were able to then use. Additionally, I had to figure out where to put the camera, so I ended up just duct taping a webcam to the ceiling of our, our lab and started wheeling these chicken carts in and out. So like security was coming by wondering what we were doing, like it was a whole it was a whole ordeal. But once we got that, we we're trying to figure out how to come up with a data set because just clicking random images and like doing one image at a time was just really cumbersome. So what we ended up figuring out is that we could take videos and create all of our edge cases synthetically. So we would go in and wheel the cart, twist it around 360 degrees. I would change my clothes. So I'd have different color clothes on, just like trying to figure out like, what are all the possible things that can go wrong? And you can then take those videos, splice them into images. And another cool thing that we learned from this is that you can actually, like I know what type of chicken is already on that tray. So I can just prefix that classification to the images. So all I have to do is just draw a bounding box. I already know what it is. And then we were able to come up with a couple thousand images for a data set. We were able to train a data set. And then um, once you have that bounding box that says where the, like what it is, you can just take the center point and you can track that. And you can use that for your tracking of where things are going, whether they actually are coming in and out of the facility or if they just showed up in a camera for a second and disappeared. We can just track that with that centroid. So, Jeremy, now you've got this idea, you've got a technique, but you actually wanted to go take a look at how this would actually work in the facility itself, didn't you? Yeah, so when we got to the facility, it, it was, I think, our, our second time there, um, you know, with the intention of trying to implement a, a pilot for the first time in production. We're equipped with a lot of techniques of how to do this product tracking in a new way. But after getting there and interviewing some of the people and, and the plant managers, understanding where they really had the biggest lapse in value, their issues with order fulfillment were less on being able to find the racks in the inventory and more around just knowing what their inventory was in the first place. We uh, have since come to implement a lot of the techniques and knowledge that we gleaned from Tanner's team's uh, object tracking solutions in a lot of other ways. But in this moment, we were going to the plant with a 3D printer and uh, a bunch of rain boots and hairnets to get a camera mounted on a, a custom mount that we developed and make sure that we had the machine learning model that we had then trained hooked into an application where all of the model's inferences were being live loaded up for that operator and they were using everything uh, that was changing in their environment around them to be able to modernize this process. And you said you had to do this all during the operator's lunch hour, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we had uh, about a 45-minute window every day where we were scrambling to put everything in place and get everything installed on uh, old uh, machines and uh, laptops in the middle of the day. That entry point you know, of inventory that's outside of the foggy window, it had a unique situation at this plant and that there was a 
drip pan right above it. And so we had to get a camera under that somehow, and hence the, the 3D printer for that. So that was, that was a unique challenge. And in that 45 minute window, I think uh, I had to make a network cable, which is the first time I had to do that. The plant maintenance engineer showed me how to do that. We had the 45 minutes, so we're trying to get this thing hung up, strung up. At one point it gets caught on one of the shackles. There's no other team members or product in there at this time, but got caught, broke, had to run back really quick. I didn't run, I had to walk quickly. Make another cable really fast and bring it back out there. And I've got all that done in time, but when we plugged it all in, didn't work. So luckily on the next shift, we got it, um, or the next next break between shifts, we were able to, to get it set up correctly. But that was a, that was just a, a fun, fun first scrappy time of trying to put all this together. Well, that's the thing too, Barrett, right? Like we often talk about this iterative approach to experimentation and prototyping. And a lot of times people might think, well, that's also only with the technology, but it's also, you've got to take into account the operations of your systems, the, the culture of your internal organizations, et cetera, right? That's right. The yeah. sort of scrappiness and being able to fail fast and just being like, okay, we're going to try a different approach. That's something that's kind of what we see a lot in prototyping. Yeah, it's very much needed. You really have to be adaptable and be willing to learn a lot as you go. Jeremy, after we completed the prototype, Tanner and the team left, and, and now you're, you're left with the uh, fun of actually taking this into production and scaling it out, piloting it in your facilities. Talk to us a little bit about what that journey was like. It was a long journey for sure. We had a, a solution that worked, and we had a new thing that we had figured out and, and a technical problem that had been solved, but it was not sustainable. And, and what we really needed was to leverage the resources that we had on hand on the AWS side in the cloud to be able to make something that was repeatable and scalable, supportable, something that we could use over and over again to improve the solution and, and make sure that it worked everywhere and not just in one place. So we partnered with uh, a bunch of the teams on, on your end to build a full-scale pipeline uh, comprised of uh, step functions, lambdas, glue, Athena, RDS, ECR, all functionally working and eventually getting to the point where it was running in stable production across all eight of our fresh trade back facilities. And I'm very happy to say that it's since gotten to the point where we haven't had to touch it in over a year because it just works on its own. And I would I would add to that even before, you know, rolling it out to all locations, even before we went live at the first place, we quickly ran into, once we had the camera up, we started collecting images, you know, how are we going to label all these and do it accurately? Because it had just been our team, like a handful of folks on our team doing it. And we have 200 plus SKUs because you think about all the different size packages. We do private label, there's other brand labels, different levels of marination or boneless versus, or skinless versus skin on, that sort of thing. You get to a lot of SKUs. And so labeling was a scale challenge. Uh, and so that's where we were able to leverage ground truth in its early incarnation. And then also training on that many images that quickly went into the hundreds and you know, even millions of images. So SageMaker training jobs also bailed us out and allowed us to, to scale there and get it off of our, our laptops. So 
Oh, well, that's the thing we talk a lot about in this podcast around the machine learning models that we're training is the data. Where are you going to get the data? And for something like this, it's unique completely to your business, right? These are specific images that are, it's not like there's a training set out there for you, right? right. You've got to build that all in to the work that you do, not only with this particular workload, but probably with others as you scale out. Absolutely. Yes. Fantastic. So, Barrett, you know, you talked a little bit about being a good steward of the resources of the earth, right? Of, of the resources that you're using and really using this technique to build in that transparency to, to get a little bit of illumination of that black box that you had, right? Talk to us a little bit about the impact that this approach has had in your ability. Yeah, this was, this was from the beginning an opportunity to optimize inventory. And so what that what that does for us is it allows us to use exactly what we need. So in terms of producing the product that we're going to sell. So if we understand the true demand and we can have a good demand signal and then optimize inventory to that and effectively plan, then we reduce waste. And so increasing the accuracy of what we know to be an inventory, lining that up with customer orders or predicted customer orders and being able to rely on that and reduce the time to entry and so we're more efficient in our operations. We have a pretty high model accuracy in terms of the product identification across all eight plants at this point. So that's definitely gone way up. It's about 98%. That's great. So Jeremy, what's next on the list here? We're able to build out this pipeline. We have a, a production solution that is sustainable, but it's still um, it's a pretty bulky thing that is very much tailored for this specific use case. What we really want is something that's going to open us up to be able to innovate a lot more and solve a lot more problems in a much shorter period of time. This particular problem from you know starting the ideation for how we were going to build the solution all the way to completing the production pipeline was probably a year and a half, two-year period. Since then, we've really scaled down and taken advantage of a lot of the new tools in SageMaker and AWS for optimizing uh, the way that we do things, having some modularized and templated code and solutions for iterating a lot more quickly. So we've gone from the two-year time period down to having six POCs for various computer vision solutions that we've done in the last six months. And I would say in addition to taking advantage of the new new services and things, you know, we've continued to use learnings and artifacts from that initial engagement with the prototyping team. So we imported a lot of that culture. So we do path to production documents for everything we do, whether it's something that we've decided, hey, we're going to stop at the end of this POC or we're going to take it forward for a pilot. So no matter what, we always have a path to production because that way we capture the learnings because that's that's part of our charter. So informing for fit, maturity, all that. And we've reused the code as well for the tracking. And some of our use cases, we were counting packages of product on a conveyor belt as it passed by. And those that were passed on and those that were rejected. So that's one recently where we have reused a lot of that uh, that we, we learned uh, early on. So Very cool. So that foundation and set of approaches is really taking you beyond this one work. That's fantastic. And just, just knowing that it's possible and what the approach is, is, is huge. So. so what would you share with our listeners who might be embarking on a similar journey? I would say, um, you know, be prepared to be flexible and adaptable. Don't try to 
include everything in scope at the beginning. Be ambitious about like your high level goals and the goals and milestones you set for yourself, but also chunk the problem up and take it one step at a time, solve one thing at a time and iterate on that. Make sure that you're building uh, the right thing before you focus too much on building it 100% right because things change quickly. That would be my advice. Be always willing to learn. You know, we're, we're absolutely, we've learned a lot, but we're still learning. There's still so much that we don't know. So you just have to have that mindset that I'm always curious. I'm always wanting to go out and learn and figure out how to add value. That really resonates. How about you, Jeremy? There's a quote that I like and I think pertains to uh, kind of our journey here. And that's the easiest way to fail at innovation is to make it somebody's part-time job. I think that that really speaks to the lesson that we've learned of understanding the the technical debt and knowing what projects that we're going to take on, how we're going to take them into the future and what we can learn from each one, what can be reused and, and really finding that least common denominator that we can carry along with us so that we're freed up and, and able to continue to innovate moving forward. Nice. How about you, Tanner? The first thing that comes to mind is, is just being comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's just it's something that our leader on the North America prototyping team always likes to say, and it, it really rings true because when you, when you start tackling these like big, hairy problems that no one really knows exactly how to do on your team, you're just going to be really uncomfortable and you have to just keep going down rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole until you start seeing what's connected. Okay, well, this is going to make this work. This might not work. And you finally just kind of come out on the other end with a solved problem. It's a really cool thing to do, but it's also just really uncomfortable at the beginning. Well, Barrett, Jeremy, and Tanner, thank you so much for being here and sharing your journey with us today. Thank you very much for having us. It's It's been an absolute blast and uh, great talking with you, Sarah, and good catching up with you, Tanner. Awesome. Thanks a lot. This was fun. I'd like to thank our listeners for coming on today's journey with us. Innovation Ambassadors is a production of the AWS Media Series. Look for future episodes of our vodcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite streaming platform. If you have ideas for future episodes or comments on this one, send us a tweet at hashtag AWS Innovation Ambassadors and share your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you.